Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to episode 107 of Conquering Columbus. This is Mike here, and I recently had the opportunity to speak on the Business of Podcasting panel at Startup Week Columbus. And if there's one thing I noticed, it's that a lot of people out there are interested in starting their own podcast, but aren't sure where to start. So we've decided to put together a podcast startup package with everything we've learned about building and growing a podcast to help you get there. You can pre-register for the Conquering Columbus podcast startup package now by heading over to our website, conqueringcolumbus.com. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. And as always, we hope you learn a lot. Before we get to that interview, though, I want to ask you all for a quick favor. If you haven't already, pick up your phone and hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're listening on. It really helps support our show and it'll make sure you never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. We also want to take a moment to thank some of our supporters. And that starts with 301 Original. In today's market, the brands that pull ahead know how to represent themselves well. 301 Original is seeking to understand how your brand can be visually depicted by illuminating your brand values and showcasing what sets you apart. The team over at 301 Original specializes in commercial photography, web design, graphic design, and social media marketing. With a conversational approach, Kyle and his team will uncover your brand's creative needs and deliver excellence in support of your goals. 301 Original, currently published in Forbes, Petapixel, and GQ, has a reputation for outstanding creativity that attracts new business for individuals, startups, and Fortune 500s. Contact Kyle Asperger today at 301original.com to elevate your brand. Conquering Columbus is brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout the state. And for more information, head on over to sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them is a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at gofmx.com. Mike here again. Do you want to be a sponsor of Conquering Columbus? We are looking for some new supporters to help keep the show going in 2018. To inquire about how you can help support the podcast, please send an email to mike at conqueringcolumbus.com. All right, Conquerors, let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Today on the show, we got Mr. Aaron Weir joining us. And Aaron's a good friend of ours and a director 
at Kegler, Brown, Hill & Ritter, a law firm that counsels companies around the world on everything to do with business and law. And Aaron has a wide range of experiences in the law field. He studied at Capital University Law School, and he also happened to coach rugby and still coaches rugby here at Ohio State. So we're very excited to have him on the show today. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Aaron. Thanks, guys. Uh, happy to be here. Uh, big fan. Just as a side note, we have mutual friends, Alex and Lacey Picasso, mm -hmm. who were, they were on your show early on. Yep. And they were over for dinner last night, and I was telling Lacey, I was like, I got to prep for prep for this. I'm like, you know, they were getting ready to go home, and I was like, I got to go prepare to be on here. And I asked if, they, if you gave them an outline. And I said, no, I have an outline. He's like, well, they didn't give me one. So it, it's just been cool to see the evolution of the uh, the podcast, and I think it's it's a really cool thing what you're doing. Oh. If, if we would have given them an outline, they would have gone. They would have done everything to not follow the outline. <laughs> right. So that's why they yeah. don't get one. Of that's those. that's fair. Not that's only fair. that, but we did that one out of their out of their living room, I think. <laughs> and Roscoe was sitting in the corner. I was worried the dog was going to bark the whole time. So yeah. um, that was definitely the early days of conquering yeah. Columbus. But we usually like to start kind of let's talk a little bit about uh, what life was like growing up for you kind mm -hmm. of where'd you grow up what were your parents like siblings that sort of thing yeah so I grew up in a small town in northeast Ohio called Salem it is just south of Youngstown and it had a very kind of nuclear family prototypical mom dad uh, my brother and I my mom was a kindergarten teacher uh, she came over to the US when she was eight years old from Italy and uh, grew up in East Liverpool and went to Kent State and became a kindergarten teacher. Uh, she taught kindergarten for 39 years. Uh, my father grew up in Wellsville, Ohio, and uh, he was a commercial artist for a small company called MPI Label Systems. What, what type of art was he doing? Sorry to jump in there. Like, oh, no. Label? Yeah, so he, I think, two of the best examples I can give you. Uh, they designed the Little Tykes logo, you see, and uh, they actually had a Little Tykes distribution plant right next to them, and they designed the Rubbermaid logo. Okay. And so when companies needed those stickers, uh, I remember going to work with them when I was little, and they would have them on the old drafting boards, and they had the rulers and everything, and this was before computers, so uh, that's what he did. Any siblings or anything? Yeah, I have uh, one brother, older, uh, Ian, and he lives here in Columbus. Uh, his wife, Stephanie, they live in Arlington, um, not far from my wife and I. And they have two little boys, so I have two nephews, Miles and Sam, who are six and three, I believe. Maybe, yeah, six and three, six and four. And they're awesome. They're just getting into sports, and they are boys through and through, so... It's, teaching them a little rugby or? <laughs> they do actually like rugby a lot so miles is starting to play soccer and baseball and he's getting into uh lacrosse sam is a little brute uh he's the youngest one i think he has the most potential to be a rugby player <laughs> it does take a special kind of person to like <laughs> wrestling but how much older was ian than you ian is two and a half years older uh so he's the lobbyist here in town he works for a firm out of D.C. called Albers and Company. He handles the Midwest region, so he's their Midwest director. So you're both kind of in the law space, kind of what? I mean, is there something that pushed you both that direction? Where Did you grow up thinking like, hey, I want to be a lawyer? Can you talk us through? Yeah, it's, 
it's kind of a long story, okay. and I, I, I think it starts with... we got 60 minutes. <laughs> so I think it starts with growing up, um, we were both very much into sports. We both played football. I played basketball. I also did long jump on the track team. And early on, we just had a passion for sports. We grew up around sports also through my cousin, Valerie Arcuri, now Valerie Bonacci. And Valerie was the vice president of advertising for the Cleveland Indians. So I remember we would go up to Old Municipal Stadium and we were always around baseball. And Valerie would always have us down on the field and in the office. And I just became enamored with sports. And from an early age, I just remember, I'm going to go into sports. Valerie went to the Master's in Sports Administration program at Ohio University. And early on, I was like, that's my path. That's what I'm going to do. And so when it came time for me to go to college, um, I started looking at schools. And you know, back when I was going to school, Ohio State didn't have all these branch campuses. And they have to let you in because you're a state resident. So you just needed to be a warm-blooded human being to get into Ohio State. And it was large, and people back then, and I don't think this is the case now, considered it like a fallback option. And my parents did not want me to go to like a large school. So my brother was playing rugby, and he was going to Miami of Ohio. And it really came down to me applying to Miami of Ohio and John Carroll University. I got into both. And I remember early on, I wanted to go to Miami because I wanted to go where my brother was and I wanted to play rugby with him. And, and my parents started to kind of usher me toward John Carroll. They thought that that Jesuit education would be good for me. It was a smaller size. And looking back, uh, you never want to admit that your parents were right, but they were right. Uh, but one of the big influences was my cousin, Valerie, said, come to, if you come to John Carroll, I'll get you a job at the Indians and you can work there during the summer and school years or what. So I was like, all right, I did. And I went to John Carroll and started playing rugby my sophomore year, actually. But also at the end of my first year, I started working for the Indians and did a little bit of everything for them. Uh, I worked at the security desk. I worked game day operations, special events. If there was a press conference, I remember having to wait outside the press conference to drive Jim Tomey to his car and just anything that you could possibly think of, I did. And I swear this gets to how I got to law school. I remember talking to Mark Shapiro at the time up in his office about a careers in sports. And he suggested to me that maybe I try to do something else, get some more experience in a different sector. Brad Grant is the director of scouting for the Indians and his wife, Kate, happened to be the HR director at IMG. And that was when IMG was still owned by Mark McCormick. And uh, Brad hooked me up with Kate, and I ended up getting a, an internship at IMG in the golf division. And so it started out in, I guess, two rotations. Uh, the first part, I worked with the, the agents, the player reps, and one specifically, Alex Missouri. Uh, she represented a lot of LPGA golfers. and so. I would help her with brainstorming potential sponsors, looking at some of her younger golfers, because it wasn't always money. You'd look at product sponsors and things like that. And then the second half was 
working in events. And so at that time, we had the Palmer Cup, which was at Baltusrol Country Club in New Jersey. And that was the Ryder Cup of co collegiate golf. And we had the Battle of Bighorn with Tiger. And I think that year was the nighttime event out of Bighorn with Phil and Tiger, Annika Sorenstam, and maybe Kari Webb. Um, and then we were working on selling the LPGA Championship, which was at the just opened back in 2000 or 2001, the Trump International down in um, West Palm Beach. So always wanted to go through sports. And you know, I wasn't much of a student, very average, 2.8 GPA, didn't really apply myself that well in school, but I'm thinking, all right, I'm in with the Indians, I, and with IMG, I have a pretty good chance. Well, Mark McCormick sold to, uh, sold IMG, and after, and then subsequently passed away. And I was talking to Tiger Woods' agent at the time, and he was like, yeah, we're not gonna have a job for you. And so I'm sitting here like my junior year, and I'm like, well, what the hell am I gonna do? And I remember that my cousin said, two people make it in sports, and that is accountants and lawyers. Kind of thinking about that, I'm like, well, I took a D plus in accounting, so I don't think I'm gonna be an accountant. Shoot. Yeah, it's you know the irony now for a corporate lawyer. But Mark uh, Steinberg had also suggested I go to law school, but I had never thought of law school, and I was like, man, I don't have any grades, but started researching and Turned, it out, turned out that Capital had a joint program with the Ohio University Sports Ad Program where you could go to law school for two and a half years and then go down to OU and get your master's in sports ad. So took the LSAT, applied, somehow got in, and that's how I ended up at law school. So through that, I still had never wanted to be a lawyer, but I started clerking at a local firm here in town called McGuire & Schneider. And you know that kind of got my wheels spinning of, hey, I might be able to do this. And so went through law school, got my master's from OU, did a little internship after I took the bar exam in Charlotte with GMR marketing, working primarily in NASCAR. And then I got the bar results, I passed, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, well, what am I gonna do? So now I'm at this crossroads of, well, do I practice law or do I try to make this sports thing happen? And my first job offer in sports was for a salary of $30,000. And I'm sitting there looking at my student loans and I'm looking at this job offer, I'm like, I can't make this work. And so I um, came back and uh, started practicing law at McGuire and Schneider. So that's how, I, that's how I ultimately ended up in law was this encouragement as a path forward in sports. And then um, here I am. Encouragement from student loans. Encouragement from student loans. Yes, that may have had something to do with it. We can all thank them a little bit. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So what type of law were you practicing at, at the firm to start? So at McGuire and Schneider, they were a small um, litigation firm. They had brought on somebody, a, an older lawyer, to try to start a business practice. And so it was kind of a good fit at the time, but I still wasn't sure exactly what I what I thought that I wanted to do transactional work. And so I came back, and ironically, he left not long after we came back. So I was just sitting there, and I'm like, well, I want to do business law. But I'm doing some litigation on the side, and 
early on got a couple of very small clients. Dominic Petrosi, who is a good friend of mine and started the Number Fest down at OU, uh, was here in town. He moved back up from Athens and had opened up a shop up on campus called Industry Standard. And he called me one day and said, hey, I need help with my business stuff. I'm thinking, well, I have no idea what I'm doing. But I'm like, yeah, sure, let's do it. <laughs> so he was my first client, and I had no idea what I was doing. But to this day, he's a client and he remains good friends. And that's kind of how what propelled me into working in business. Everything is very serendipitous. Is that the right word? Like, I feel like with your show, it just kind of like fell into the <laughs> yeah. place at the right time. And you kind of went with the groove and like. Yeah, that, that seems to be kind of a theme that I've embraced in life is just kind of go with the flow and whatever happens happens and knock on wood I've been very fortunate up to this point but um, I value relationships and I've always been lucky enough to have good mentors and meet good people and those relationships lead to different opportunities so it is very serendipitous yeah I think it fits well with your personality from what I've uh been fortunate to realize of it in our interactions together you feel like a very free-flowing person that kind of and you notice like very and remember very genuine details about people like yeah. their interactions relationships with others like things that i'm like how does he remember that kind of thing so yeah it feels like it's kind of unfolded well so you spend some time there how does it unravel as you move forward like how does the career progress so probably around 2000 so that was 2005 uh, around 2011 i i got a call and i had met Rocky Saxby through rugby and Rocky is a very prominent lawyer here in town he's retiring but in um, just a wonderful guy and I consider him a dear friend and mentor and I, he was very passionate about rugby and a guy I coach with asked me one day do you know Rocky and I met Rocky and so one day he called me and he said hey we have an opportunity at Chester Wilcox and Saxby uh, he's like would you be interested and at that time, I was coming to a, a kind of a fork in the road of, all right, if I'm going to do business work, I need to do it on a full-time basis. And, and I, I didn't have any like real significant training. I've literally just taught myself how to do business work up until this point. And so they offered me the job, and I went over to Chester Wilcox and Saxby. And uh, I was able to work with um, Tony Kington, in that business group and shortly after I started there they merged with Taft and so that's really how I worked my way into a full-time business practice okay and so when you when you get into that business practice what are some of the roles you're doing there kind of what mm -hmm. type of um, position are you working yeah so really at a larger firm you know we weren't Chester Wilcox and Saxby too long before we became Taft as an associate, you're really doing a lot of the grunt work. I mean, you're doing all the work that none of the partners want to do, and it literally, the you know what, flows downstream. <laughs> and so, on transactional deals, you're you know doing checklists, you're doing due diligence, you're setting up due diligence rooms, and you're reading the thousands of pages of documents, and you're putting together due diligence charts and all of this stuff, and it's very boring monotonous work and uh, nothing glamorous about it but you're starting to get the insights and the behind the curtains look at how deals are constructed and so it's valuable in that regard um, but you know your role as an associate is to support 
the senior associate who supports the partner. And, um, and so, yeah, it was, it's just a lot of grunt work. And we were fortunate enough that we were a smaller office at Taft. And so I had more client interaction than maybe you might get if you were at a very large firm as an associate. And so we were really lucky to, to be able to have that client interaction and communicate with the client and be more actively involved than say, you would if you were at a Jones Day or a Squire or something like what that. What age are you at this point? So around 2011, 2012, six years ago, so 32-ish, okay. 32, 33. And then what do things look like after Taft? How does your, like, in your mindset, too, at that point, is it, you know, I want to continue to grow and climb the ranks here, or is yeah. it just another serendipitous jump? Yeah, it's been a, it was a weird ride up until this point and so after so I had an opportunity to go to another firm here in town and work with another attorney that is a again a close friend I consider him I'm very big into mentors and um, for various things in life did you seek those out or did they just kind of find you I did so this was at Ice Miller and it was with Rob Willette and I met Rob because I went to a CLE at the Holiday Inn and Worthington and he was teaching a part of the CLE and if you ask Rob I mean I just emailed him and said hey I was at the CLE I want to take you to lunch out of nowhere he had no idea who I was and I basically bugged him until he did and that's how I met Rob and then we ended up staying in touch and and so uh, I, I, I respect Rob a great deal he has a tremendous corporate practice here in town and so when the opportunity came, you know, I jumped at it. And so I was at Ice Miller for a year, and uh, I learned so much in that year. And at the end of 14, I got a call from a uh, headhunter, and they were saying that they were looking to open up a regional office of a smaller firm. And at this point, I, I was starting to realize that I don't know that the large firm atmosphere is really for me. I've always had a drive to kind of be my own person and I don't I'm not one for rules I'm not one for being told what to do and that doesn't really bode well when you're in a large firm environment and so this headhunter called and I thought he was joking at the time because I was like yeah I can give you the name of some people in town and they're like well we got your name from somebody and that led into conversations and they offered me the job and so I, if I was thinking to myself, well, if they're dumb enough to offer to me this to me, I'm dumb enough to take it. And I woke up one morning and I was the managing partner of a law firm here in town. I'm thinking, but I wake up and I'm like, well, we don't have an office. I don't have any clients. I don't. I have nothing. I have no idea how to run a law firm. I don't know what it means to be a managing partner. I, I know nothing about this. But I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, you got to do something about it. And so we built. BMD Columbus, and it grew to about five or six attorneys. We found space on 250 Civic Center, and you, were, you know, I had to do the build out with the architects and find the furniture, hire the people, hire the staff, and all the while try to find clients, build a practice. And so, yeah, it was it was quite the experience. Looking back on it now, I was not equipped to do it. I had no <laughs> idea what I was doing. It was it was. It was crazy from the start, but. 
Hey there, Conquerors. We're going to take a quick break here to thank a couple of our sponsors, and that starts with AutoSlash. Now, I've told you before how AutoSlash can help save you money on your next car rental by scanning the internet for coupons and discounts, but today, I want to talk about a real example. So this is a story from their Facebook page. It's a Facebook review from a guy named Phil, and there are seriously thousands of reviews like this there, so go check them out. But Phil says, I've used AutoSlash several times, and the first time I was skeptical, but they immediately found me a deal on an SUV rental that was 40% lower than anything I could find anywhere else, including directly at the auto rental agency and any of the so-called cheapo sites. But then, to top it off, within a week, they found me an even better deal. Overall, I ended up paying less than 50% of what I thought I'd have to pay when I first started shopping, and since then, I've used AutoSlash each time I've rented a car, and each time they've come through with a stellar deal. So take it from us and Phil, you can't find a better deal on a car rental than with AutoSlash. So head on over to AutoSlash.com the next time you need to rent a car. We also want to thank 301 Original. In today's market, the brands that pull ahead know how to represent themselves well. 301 Original is seeking to understand how your brand can be visually depicted by illuminating your brand values and showcasing what sets you apart. The team over at 301 Original specializes in commercial photography, web design, graphic design, and social media marketing. With a conversational approach, Kyle and his team will uncover your brand's creative needs and deliver excellence in support of your goals. 301 Original, currently published in Forbes, Petapixel, and GQ, has a reputation for outstanding creativity that attracts new business for individuals, startups, and Fortune 500s. Contact Kyle Asperger today at 301original.com to elevate your brand. All right, Conquerors, let's get back into this episode. Yeah, so what was the biggest challenge of that process? I mean... You're sitting there, you have no idea what you're doing, like you said. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, is it finding the building? Is it getting the clients? Is it hiring the right people? What kind of, where did you find the most challenges? I, everything is a good answer. Every, yeah, <laughs> everything. I, I, finding the right people. I mean, if you look at how law firms have grown, if you look at the trends, most of the time, if you want to grow a law firm to significant levels, you do that either through acquisition, and that could be of an entire firm, or a practice, or you know a senior partner that has a book of business that can bring a team along. And that's really hard to do in Columbus. Um, and I knew that going in, and we talked about it, but I don't know that I had an appreciation for just how hard it was going to be. It was just my kind of that entrepreneur type that I think you all know of and have. I was just like, yeah, I can do this. And I, 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 it was crazy. It Did was you hard. start by networking to find the business? or? No, I started by, I didn't really focus on bringing in clients a ton at first. Um, I needed infrastructure. I needed people. And so I couldn't keep working out of my living room. And so I made a few calls and early on got three attorneys. I convinced uh, a friend of mine from law school uh, she was at a large firm at the time, and I convinced her to come head up our healthcare practice, but the firm had a huge healthcare practice, and I was like, you can head up this healthcare practice in Columbus, and called one of my other friends. He was on his own, had a very niche area that he, he worked in, but had an associate, and within a few months, you know, there were three of us, and so I was like, all right, that's off to a pretty good start, and then we identified the space and just started building from there. And then probably about a quarter of my time, I'm out there networking like crazy. And I, I was fortunate enough, 
McGuire and Schneider really set the tone for networking and meeting people. And Keith Schneider and Carl Schneider were very instrumental in uh, introducing me to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And, and so it, it really helped. What do you think the keys are for good networking? I mean, so it, obviously it's it played a big part in your success mm-hmm. in being able to connect with people. Um, I mean, you walk into a lot of conferences and just start talking to people. Can you talk maybe to our listeners and, and us as well about some tips or how you go about networking? Yeah, it's, to be honest with you, I am so uncomfortable at networking events. I, I just, I, it gives me anxiety just to walk up to somebody and say, hey, how you doing? And it's the same old conversation of what do you do? And it's, and I just, I don't find meaning in that. And I, I think where I've found the most success is fostering my close relationships and forming meaningful relationships. And I think that's the key. That's one of the, I think one of the keys. I don't, I'm not a guy who goes around and hands out business cards. In fact, I rarely carry them. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a fault of just forgetting them, but um, I, re- I rarely carry business cards. And, I, and you won't find me at ACG glad handing and handing out business cards. One of the things that has, the other thing that has guided me uh, most recently when I first started the BMD, a good friend of mine, now a good friend of mine, uh, Mike Schott, he works here in town with Kaufman Development, gave me the book, The Go-Giver. Uh, have you ever read the, or know of The Go-Giver? Uh, you read it a while yeah. back, yeah. about a year or two ago. You I, know have, this? I, have, I don't think I have myself. So it's a, it's a nonfiction, or no, it's a fictional book, I'm sorry, uh, by Bob Berg and John David Mann, and it is the first in a series of books. And basically... It's about putting your it's about putting your interests aside, and instead of worrying about getting, it's worried about giving. And so this character Joe um, is introduced to this guy named Pindar, and Pindar uh, connects him with five go givers, who are all connected by the fifth, which is called the connector, uh, as the character is known as the connector, and. The book is premised around these five principles of giving and the fact that if you put your principles aside and you care about more about adding value and giving that the unintended return is that you'll get more. And so it's a first of a series of books that I, I try to give and recommend to everybody. Um, there's the go-giver leader, the influencer, sellers, it's a, it's a whole series. Uh, and that book really altered my mindset. And I, I remember at the end of um, 2016, I was really struggling with whether the law was my passion uh, and what I wanted to do. Because this, I looked at this and, and I wasn't able to see how, how it aligned with the law. Because the law is your fee-for-service business. People hire you to do something you charge it by the hour and it's a very antiquated system and people are always so concerned about how many hours you bill and this and that and you know for me I just I loved going out and helping people and I was wrestling with how do you how do you balance the two but that but that book 
by far and away has had the biggest influence on my life, both personally and professionally. And so that's in terms of networking and building relationships and how I go about it is I'm always, if somebody meets me, it's not, what can I do for you? It's like, how can I help you? Mm -hmm. And, and I think people react differently to that rather than being like, you know, what do you need me to do or whatever? So, Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think there's a certain level of authenticity with that. And, um, I mean, you, if you go around to a lot of networking meetings, you're going to see the same people from time to time. And, you know, sometimes there's that type of person who will just go around to all these networking meetings and meet people and talk to them, but they never reach out to anyone outside of those meetings. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a difference between building real relationships, like you mentioned, and fostering close relationships and just networking to go out and meet people, Yeah, which I think is important. Um, designation, but it seems like Josh might have had a question there. No, I, I just, I, I think it's funny that you call out the distinction of like not wanting to have the same conversation with people over and over again in these yeah. events. Cause I tried for a while to have like unique <laughs> conversations yeah. and it led me down to like some very awkward, like I did one thing with like our CEO here when I had met him at an event and I just like, I didn't introduce myself. I just said, let's grab lunch. And he just thought I was asking him on some like some weird mandate. So I've like, yeah. myself down to these, like these bad rabbit holes where I'm like, well, maybe the traditional conversation's not so bad. But I've done that too. I mean, it, maybe it was just a lack of self-awareness on my younger self. And I mean, I've gotten to know you guys over the past couple years and I think we're all young, we're ambitious and, and you do that sort of thing. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I think it's, um, if in the right context or with the right person, I can it can work. <laughs> but it worked I, out for Josh. He's, it, he's here working. Yeah, you're here. There you go. He still I mean, talks about it to this about day like, too. He loves, oh, yeah, he he loves the story. story. Can I I'll, can I be completely honest with you? That story came up last night at dinner. They Alex and Lacey <laughs> love it. The only people that love it more than Jeff is Alex and Lacey, and they tell it to everybody. <laughs> they so. did. They uh, they told that story last night. We were standing in the kitchen. And, and that story came up. So that other appreciate- aspect that you mentioned, though, in terms of trying to give and then expect to or hope that maybe I'll get in return, which usually does happen. Like you give four hundred percent, eventually mm-hmm. you're going to get your one hundred percent in return. Um, I think that's it's interesting because I after I read that book and I read like how to win friends, influence people, which mm-hmm. they, all them like older books kind of have the same underpinnings. Yeah. Um, it's been the most productive years of my life when I could keep that mindset. Mm-hmm. What I've found. Lately, though, that I've struggled with is that I want to progress so quickly that I've started to focus more on myself. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed like a reverse and a shift. Like not that I've run stagnant or gone the wrong path, but haven't been nearly as productive. And I think that's like some people understand it, but I think it's hard for them to flip that switch in their head and say, okay, how do I stop thinking about myself for the next year, two years, five years, Mm -hmm. and start putting other people like first? It's hard. I, I mean, I met with a guy the other day and he said to me that he wanted to meet another lawyer because he had referred so much business to out to lawyers, but they hadn't referred any back to him. So he's like, I'm done with them. And I, and I have a hard time, I have a hard time wanting to do business with people like that. Cause I don't keep score. And I think that's one of the pillars is, is stop keeping score. And I don't, you know, you can't make opportunities up. I can't make my clients want to change their banking relationships to try to usher them to another banker or another CPA, or whatever the case may be. And I, and I think there are a lot of people in the 
professional services that do keep score. And I, and I don't, and I try not to do business with people that do. Um, I just, I don't think that it's very, I just don't think that's very productive. I think that the opportunity, if you listen and you're present in your conversations and, and your networking opportunities, whatever the case may be, and as you develop those relationships, you begin to identify opportunities and then you might say, well, I, you know, I hear you're, from what you're saying, I hear you're struggling with this. Have you thought about X? And no, I haven't thought about that. And I don't, who would do that? Well, I know somebody. And then I, then you connect. And I love that. I, I love the connecting part of business. And I love the connecting part in professional. I mean, anything I can do to help somebody or connect people, um, I think is just a valuable value trait or characteristic quality to have. So you're the connector. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, uh, one of my wife's good friends, her husband, uh, actually calls me the connector. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's strange in relation to the book, but. So following from that, where are we at today? And then you know, have you decided whether the law is exactly your passion, or what does the future look like? Yeah. So I I was struggling, and I actually took a break from the law for a year and and did something else and during that time I think I started to identify my passion that year went by quick but I I slowly started to realize that you know there may be an opportunity at Kegler Brown I talked to my now colleague Steve Barsotti and and he's like we we have a need that you could fill and around that time I was talking to some of my clients I had transitioned some clients over there and what I realized is that I'm passionate about helping people find success in their business. And I have a wonderful vehicle in the law to do that. And, you know, if you, if you talk to Chuck Kegler, whom I admire greatly, he is a founder of Kegler, Brown, Hill & Ritter, he'll say that in the life cycle of being an attorney, you kind of start doing it all and you're doing a little bit of everything. You might do some litigation and some corporate work and criminal, whatever the case may be. And then as you get a little older, you hone in on your niche and what you're proficient at and you become an expert in that area. And then the third phase is you become the trusted advisor. And, and I realized my goal was I don't, I want to be the first call. I may not be able to solve all your problems, but I know I'm gonna be able to help you figure out a way to do it. Whether I can do it, whether my colleagues can do it, whether somebody else can do it, I've, I've amassed this network and I'm going to know somebody and if I don't know somebody, I'm gonna find a way to, to solve your problem and help you. And so I realized that that was my passion. I, I, I also realized how important culture and a company um, in a working environment is whether you own your own company and you set the culture. Um, and there's a good book, um, Barger, I forget his name. Um, here in town, he's a he's like a executive coach, but thermostat culture is about setting the culture. Um, and I found that culture in Kegler Brown. I think it was really a, something that was missing, was a void in my legal career up to this point. And so, you know, where does it go now? You know, I'm a 
technically I was of counsel for last year. Now I'm a partner or director, as we call it now, and I'm in the M&A group. And, um, you know, we're, we are positioned to continue to be very successful. Uh, Kegler Brown represents some of the most storied uh, companies here in town. In looking back, when I first joined, I was looking at all the M&A deals we did. And we have 65 attorneys. The M&A group, led by Todd Kegler and Eric Duffy, now um, consists of maybe 10 lawyers. And in the last 36 months, we've done 132 transactions for an aggregate value of almost $1.5 billion. That's a good practice. And I think that um, if we are to continue to hone in on the opportunities that exist in the marketplace, and I think that some of those opportunities might exist outside of the Columbus area, the immediate Columbus area, I think we're very well poised to just continue to grow and do great work. I mean, you have a, an amazing culture. You have some of the finest lawyers I've ever worked with, and I'm very fortunate to call them co colleagues, and I'd put them up against any large firm any day of the week. And, uh, and so we're going to continue to try to grow our practice, and um, you know the firm is, is very well poised into the future. So. Absolutely. And from there, let's kind of pivot towards um, some of our final questions of the show. First one I've got for you is we've already talked about one piece of advice for mm -hmm. our listeners, which is building and fostering real relationships. So do you have any other advice, any comments for our listeners out there? You know, you sent this outline. I was, I, I was gave a lot of thought to this, but I, I think that for me, it's surround yourself with good people and surround yourself not only with good people, that people that are going to be invested in you and your success. Because if you're not, it just makes life very difficult. And um, you know, one of my passions and one of the things that I hope to do in the future is continue to evolve as a leader. I love the leadership aspect of law, um, helping young attorneys from my, I've, my mistakes, um, learning from those. Um, and so I would say surround yourself with good people and people that are going to invest in you. If you are putting 100% of your effort into your work and you're doing everything you can and you're delivering, but you don't like the direction in which the company is going or whatever the case may be, um, and you don't like the culture, then then don't be afraid to, don't be afraid to leave. And I think, you know, great place pivot towards our last question of the show and you're a fan so i know you've heard it before but i'll read it off anyway it's uh focused around the theme of our show which is live uncomfortably and without telling you too much about what josh and i think of the phrase what does it mean to you and how does it apply to your life and career are you guys ever going to tell the listeners what you what it means to you it's a mystery it it's is a mystery okay <laughs> yeah so um live uncomfortably yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot. And I think for me, it means to not be complacent. Don't be afraid to take chances. Don't be afraid to fail. You know, I have failed in my life. I have failed personally. I have failed professionally. I, I don't know that I have any regrets, but along the way, 
those successes and those failures shape you to where you are and where I am today. And I am at a wonderful place. I have a wonderful wife, Bethany. She is my best friend. She, I am not deserving of her. And she's wildly supportive through all of my antics. She's a rugby widow in the, in the fall. And um, she's great. And my willingness to take chances um, and live uncomfortably, she's put up with those. And uh, I just, I think if you ever become complacent, you stop growing. And I think, it, not to prolong this, but my mom will always tell the story of when I was little, I always asked why. Everything. We're going here. Why? Here's what we're doing. Why? Everything I asked was why. And I'm not afraid to challenge the status quo. And it's not to be a pain in the ass or not to be um, disrespectful. It's just that we can always evolve. We can always grow. We can always learn and never stop asking why and i think that when you do i i think you're not you you're gonna you're gonna max out your potential so live uncomfortably is is don't be afraid to fail always ask why and uh don't become complacent aaron that's a great answer uh thanks a lot for joining us on the show today it's been a really fun time with josh yeah Hunt. sorry Enjoy. this was fun i you could do this I probably talked more than I should have, but I appreciate the opportunity and I've loved the experience. And Conquerors, thanks a lot for tuning in. Appreciate you guys tuning in the show each week. Hope you enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. We'll talk to you next week. If you guys enjoyed that episode, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitchers, whatever your favorite podcast app is. And go ahead and click that subscribe button. It'll make sure you never miss another episode of Conquering Columbus. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to say thanks to all of our incredible sponsors one more time. And that starts with 301 Original. In today's market, the brands that pull ahead know how to represent themselves well. 301 Original is seeking to understand how your brand can be visually depicted by illuminating your brand values and showcasing what sets you apart. Team over at 301 Original specializes in commercial photography, web design, graphic design, and social media marketing. With a conversational approach, Kyle and his team will uncover your brand's creative needs and deliver excellence in support of your goals. 301 Original, currently published in Forbes, Petapixel, and GQ, has a reputation for outstanding creativity that attracts new business for individuals, startups, and Fortune 500s. Contact Kyle Asperger today at 301original.com to elevate your brand. Conquering Columbus is brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout the state. And for more information, head on over to sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them is a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at gofmx.com. You can drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning but I'll find a way to survive I'll find a way to get the job done yeah there's a little doubt but you know what 
once again. I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.